what we wanted to do is bring that same level of institutional reliability and quality of trading systems into crypto. 30 years of electronification in the finance industry, we're trying to go through in five years. There are so many interesting failure scenarios here, um, and you have to get all of them right for this to work correctly. It's a constant struggle. There's no easy answer here, but it's critical to figure out. Now, long term, all assets become digital assets. So it's all the under the iceberg stuff that differentiates a trading system like ours. I'm Brett Gibson, and welcome to HiBit, a new podcast where we do deep dives on the art of problem solving with engineers and technical experts from our community of early stage startups. In today's episode, we're sitting down with Ethan Feldman, co-founder and CTO at Talos, an institutional crypto and digital asset trading platform. A high bit is the most significant part of the binary representation of a number. In coder jargon, it commonly refers to the most important thing you need to understand in a given context. I chose to name this podcast High Bit because when faced with engineering problems, the first task is often figuring out which part of the problem most affects the outcome you're driving towards. Join me on this journey as we discuss thorny engineering problems with my guests and get into the weeds about how they solve them. Hey, Ethan. Well, thanks a lot for, for joining us today. Hey, Brett. Thanks for having me. Maybe you can start off by telling everyone what 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 is Talos. Yeah, sure. And go through it. So Talos is an institutional crypto trading platform. Um, and we power the full trade lifecycle. Uh, so we allow our clients to connect into the entire crypto ecosystem uh, via one API or one UI. And then we build advanced tooling on top of that. Uh, so we connect to exchanges and market makers and we allow you to, to trade digital assets. Uh, but then we also connect to custody providers and transfer networks. And so you can not only trade on the platform, but you can also settle your trades. Um, and this is something that's really unique to digital assets and we couldn't do in other trading systems that we built in the past. I think that what struck me about the history of Dallas and, and in working with you and what you just described is how much you bring this lens of traditional markets and what what people from tr traditional markets expect uh, to crypto, where it, where it hasn't existed in the past, has been kind of a messy ecosystem. So what is your background that you know made made you a great fit to, to go on to build Talos? Yeah, so for me and also my co-founder, Anton, we've both have decades building these kinds of solutions. For So for me, I worked before Talos, I worked for 10 years at Broadway Technology, where we built front office trading systems, mostly for large banks, supporting cross-asset systems as well. So we built trading platform that supported FX, fixed income, futures, so a lot of different asset classes. And really, our customers there, again, were the biggest banks in the world. Um, and so when we build these kinds of systems, uh, we actually have this slide that goes back to probably one of our earliest pitch decks. Um, and it's this iceberg that describes how what you, what you need to do to build trading systems. And it's an iceberg and, a, and then above the iceberg, you have all the flashy features, all the like the UIs that the trader sees, the functionality, the trading algorithms. And then below the water, we have um, all the things that actually make those systems work correctly. And so that is the performance characteristics that you need, the reliability that you need, the safety that you need to build into these platforms to make them actually work and actually successful. Anyone can kind of build a system that works, but in order for it to work over time, uh, you need to do things like avoid, you know, it needs to behave well, like when the market is volatile, when things happen, you need to respond appropriately. Uh, so a lot of it is having those battle scars of having done this for a long time. Um, and what we wanted to do is bring that same level of institutional reliability and quality of trading systems into crypto. And so uh, I think our background and our 
having built these kinds of systems before, we really wanted to bring that into crypto. You know, the the same dynamic that um, made makes it make sense to step in and build this product also means your job is kind of hard, right? Because the existing structure of, of the market um, leaves things out and, and it's just kind of messy. So like maybe you yeah. go into like what, when coming from traditional markets was particularly hard about this in the, in the universe of crypto. When we were thinking about doing the product, we were like, what we want to do is take the whole messy ecosystem, wrap it in a nice API and interface and UI that made it really familiar to institutions so that it would have the same level of tooling, um, the same user flows and experiences look the same as the kinds of uh, platforms that they were used to just in other asset classes. Uh, a great example of a kind of thing that happens in crypto that you'd never expect in other asset classes, like in, coming from TradFi, is around what happens when, around like exchange disconnections, right? So maybe we can go through what a setup is for people that don't know of how does trading, like if you're trading FX institutionally, how does it work, right? You're trading FX on an exchange. Um, if you're an institution, you'd be, co you'd be in a data center. So you'd be co-located. You'd both be in a data center, like in probably in New Jersey. Um, you're trading with an exchange or with a liquidity provider. You literally have a cross connect to them inside that data center. So it's literally like a cable that you plug into your rack in the data center. You plug into theirs, right? You're, you know, a couple microseconds of latency on that line. Uh, the line is never going to get disconnected. So this is how it works in TradFi. And like, again, you have really consistent latencies. Your providers don't go down. If you're highly unlikely to like miss a trade or have an incident like that, you can build these really stable systems. And none of this is how crypto works, right? <laughs> Crypto, crypto came out of retail, so there, there are a couple of uh, there are a couple of things that are really different about the way that crypto trades. Um, and I think the biggest one that people have struggled with is that it trades twenty four seven. You know, there's no downtime, so in that way, it's a lot more like Google than it is like New York Stock Exchange. Most trading happens over the internet, right? And so when you're some exchanges, most exchanges don't have another way to connect. You have to connect over the internet. So even if they let you do something like a WebSocket connection, that WebSocket connection can only stay valid, can only stay up for 24 hours or so. Uh, I don't know if you use the internet, but bad things happen all the time, <laughs> right? <laughs> Connections go down, service providers go down. They might, the exchange might need to release an upgrade, so they're going to do a rolling upgrade. Um, so it's just messy. Disconnections happen all the time. Uh, they're also really globally distributed, right? Um, so you might have a crypto exchange that's actually in a data center in London. You might have one that's in AWS in the US. You might have an AWS in Tokyo. Um, and so the trading is happening all around the world. And I think another thing that makes crypto so hard to deal with and is that the, it just changes quickly. People talk about how in crypto, like we're making all the mistakes of the financial in industry in, in five years, right? <laughs> It's like like 30 years of electronification in the finance industry we're trying to go through in five years. Um, and so, and as that happens, like you're just iterating so fast, the, you know, the exchanges that were relevant today are different than the exchanges that were relevant a year ago. Um, we've certainly seen this in the way that like the, in our system, the way that the volumes ramped up in 2021, right? A lot of people had struggled to deal with that. Uh, more recently, we saw the FTX shutdown 
So that's when, you know, literally overnight FTX on, at least on our platform, right? It was one of the biggest exchanges by volume and suddenly it turned off. People had to go find somewhere else to trade. Uh, even more recently, we've seen some of the recent bank failures, right? So uh, obviously Silicon Valley Bank and others. Um, this was this hit crypto in kind of a way, in an interesting way. Is, and one of the ways that it affected the industry is looking at uh, the way that USDC trades. All right, so if you're familiar with USDC, um, it's a stable coin that's pegged to the dollar. And generally people think it's one of the, you know, it's banked by actual deposits in U.S. banks and it's audited and regulated. And so people usually trade exactly at par with the dollar. One USD is one USDC. Uh, but suddenly when people were afraid that they weren't going to be able to have those deposits at the bank safe, uh, that actually depegged from the dollar for a period of time. Uh, and suddenly people's flows changed. People were baking assumptions into their systems that those were the same price. Uh, you saw exchange listing new products. Um, you even saw some of the transfer networks that were people were relying on, um, like the Send network, suddenly shut down. And and so people couldn't settle the fiat leg of their trades. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I, like what you're just describing sounds like abject chaos. So like, <laughs> where do you even start yeah. architecting a system that, that, that can deal with this, especially in a context when you're dealing with people's, you know, money, your client's money and sort of profit and loss? Yeah, exactly. And it's not, and like all of these things seem like they're things like they're once in a lifetime things, right? They're like, you know, when are we going to have the next set of bank failures? When are we going to have a major exchange shutdown, right? And the fact is that this is like, this happens monthly in crypto where like, it's a slow month, nothing changed, <laughs> right? Like, like just trading kind of progressed um, mm -hmm. and we're, we're surprised about it. Uh, so there's definitely a, a big change, but yeah, uh, the I guess the system that we try to build is to try to, uh, as I said, again, we wanted to wrap that whole messy ecosystem in uh, a layer that allows institutions to interact with crypto just like they would other asset classes. Um, and there's a couple of ways that we, we try to do that. How do we deal with the unreliability of the ecosystem? We needed to build out these pretty sophisticated recovery mechanisms to automate this. We don't want to spend our time manually reconciling trades. We want the system to work behind the scenes really seamlessly. Um, so we have this procedure that we go through when we we talk to the exchanges. So we're trading, we're sending orders, we get disconnected. And, um, and then we go through a reconciliation pro and recovery process when we're communicating with the exchange. Um, so when we, if we're, we're trading, we get disconnected. The thing that we do is we first, we wait. So you got disconnected. We just wait a little while and I can go into some details about why we do that. So we wait for <laughs> maybe it's five seconds, maybe it's 30 seconds. Um, and then we reconnect to the exchange. Uh, we actually start processing new messages that are coming in. And while we're doing that, we go through a recovery mechanism to, to try to reconcile the state that the exchange has about the set of orders that are open, the set of trades that have been executed. Um, with this, with the state that we have in our service, uh, we do a couple of things. We kind of, we look at any, there's so many interesting failure scenarios here. Um, and you have to get all of them right <laughs> for this to work correctly. Uh, so the first one, you can have something like the first basic one is like, give me any fills that I don't know about as of like a checkpoint time that I've gotten up to. So, so far, like 
you've sent uh you've sent a request you, you haven't heard back and you wait a little bit and then you're like let's do a poll to see like poll is the, the other end and see if it knows about the trade that i tried to make a second ago yeah or maybe we just got disconnected we had a tcp connection open it was a web socket we were trading and then we got a disconnect message that says that session's over so yeah the first thing we do is we wait a little bit and then we want to know did any did i miss any executions so any trades that happened in that window and so we'll reach out to them we'll send a rest request we'll process we'll ask for historical trades and they'll return them and the important thing is here is when you're building any kind of complicated um, distributed system, right? It's like, make sure you want to do either at most once or at least once, and you want to do <laughs> at least once, and then you want all your item, your processing to be item potent, right? Mm -hmm. So we can receive the same trade multiple times. You can dedupe it based on the ID. This is pretty standard mm -hmm. in building these kinds of yeah. systems. And so we pull in all the trades again. We may have processed some of them. Some of them might be new um, and we rebook them. Uh, we want to do this quickly. So we actually have in our gateways that connect to exchange, they keep a bunch of state and memory about what the recent trades were so we can dedupe them really efficiently. So there we have all the fills that we've gotten while we might've been down. Another interesting case is that actually we might've had outstanding calls in flight. I think this is something you just talked you just mentioned. So we mm -hmm. might've actually had like a rest request in flight when the exchange didn't respond to it. And the problem there is that you want to be really careful. Uh, you don't know if that request got rejected, right? Did it get lost on the way out or did it actually yeah. that order filled and it got lost in the way in? Um, and then we also, as a backup, we also asked the exchange, Hey, what are the open orders that you know about that? I don't know about, uh, and pull those in and again, book them in our system if we don't know about them already. Uh, and then if we have orders that the exchange doesn't know about that we think are open, we also ask about the status of those. So you have like this four-step process to try to reconcile what is the state that I have versus what is the yeah. state that they have uh, and pretend that you never got disconnected and allow you to keep moving. And ideally, the client is kind of unaware that any of this happened. Well, it's well because it's compared to how, you know, people are using APIs in other domains where you sort of can assume the API provider is the uh, source of truth for what requests hit the API. Like you have to maintain your own parallel version of the universe that you keep reconciling all the time. Exactly. And we do that because we want to be low latency, right? We, we don't want to be reaching out to the, the counterparty on every request. Uh, we have state in our system and we need that to be correct. We use that all the information about what are the set of open orders, what are the fills. We use that for like our position management, for example. So we, we track what the exposure is on the exchange. We track what your positions are. Uh, we track, we do shadow accounting to track what your balances are so that we know if you have enough like dollars on the exchange to buy additional Bitcoin. Um, yeah. So yeah, it is this pretty advanced process. Though kind of the most fun one, the most fun failure case, I think. And, and the reason that we wait, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like a puzzle game that you're playing, right? It's like, <laughs> yeah. Is it kind of like you against the against the API? Um, the most fun failure case I think is around um, is around eventual consistency, okay. right? So it's a you submit the order on a WebSocket, for example, you get back a fill, or you submit the order and you don't get anything back. Let's say, and then you get disconnected, and then you come back and you ask about the order you just submitted, right? So you're on a WebSocket. You submitted it out, 
it got disconnected. You send another request to ask about it. So I submitted order A. I ask about A. And then the exchange says, I don't know anything about A. Right? And then you ask 30 seconds later, hey, what about A? You didn't submit anything else. And they say, oh, yeah, A filled. You know, 30 seconds ago. Yeah. And it's because, you know, if you look at the implementation that they're doing, and this is the right way to build it, I think, is that they're they might not be putting the orders in their database immediately, right? They might have an eventually consistent system where they might be doing some caching. You don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Um, and so you have to basically rely on heuristics, like let's wait a little while before we ask about this order. But that's yeah. part of the fun too. And this is what makes it really <laughs> challenging. But but ultimately, like this is also the stuff that differentiates a system that sort of works from a system that really works. Um, because you need to get these details correct. Um, not booking a trade is what we call an out trade in, uh, in TradFi. Um, and that means the trader doesn't know what their position is. They don't know if they traded or not, if that order was rejected. And that puts them in this really tricky situation where they're unhedged. If the market moves, they might lose a lot of money, right? And so getting these details right long-term is, is really important and what makes a successful trading system. Yeah. That, I mean, what I'm struck by is that it's, it's, it's a, it's a particularly interesting problem because it's like a little, you have to be a little bit opinionated about what to tell people when, because, you know, you have this unreliable system you're, you're programming against and, um, you have, you know, you, you're having to insert like, like delays sort of arbitrarily to try to figure out what the best interval is to get, to get closest to what's actually true. And all the while you have a yeah. client, you know, on the other end waiting very, you know, who, who cares a lot about the timing of the events that are going through. So it's, um, exactly. How do you think about that of like, it seems like there's a matter of just taste here. You know, you kind of, you kind of look at the system and you think through what's going on and, you, and you're just kind of tweaking on these, on these timing and, uh, recovery mechanisms until you get something that feels close enough to, to cover the majority of cases. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think there's a couple of things. One is that really the client, you know, the exchange is being weird. It's eventually consistent. Um, the client doesn't care, right? They absolutely yeah. don't care. They just want yeah. to be able to trade. Um, we can blame them and say, oh, the exchange is not doing the right thing in this case, but that's not, that's kind of the service we're providing is that we're wrapping the ecosystem in this really nice envelope that makes it look like it works. You know, what we build ultimately what we sell is a trading platform service. It's not a piece of software, right? And so it's our job to stand behind that. But you're absolutely right that there is no answer here. We're using heuristics. Uh, we're using heuristics with how long to wait. You know, the providers have also have rate limits. This is another case where it's like, you need to figure out how to tune the rate limit, uh, how long to wait between calls. Um, because you, you can easily get caught in the case where you're trying to recover, you know, the 100,000 trades they did. Yeah. You've never seen that many trades before. Um, you're it's running like into rate limits like, on, yeah, it is like not, to, not being accurate and imposing a rate limit at the same time. <laughs> yes. Honestly, to, I think actually trying to attack this problem and deal with it in a lot of ways is sadistic to ourselves, right? Where there's like, it, it's like you're make yourself a glutton for punishment and all the different ways that they can kind of trip you up. Um, but that's what makes it fun in a lot of ways. And that's why our clients use our system is because we get all of these details, right? You know, I think everyone understood the sort of crypto APIs and dealing with with various exchanges is kind of a mess. Did you understand the depth of the problem, or was it really you had to get in and actually have people trading against these things to to find out 
all the crazy things that can happen. <laughs> I mean, you definitely have to get into it, right? Because uh, just going back to the eventual consistency problem, right? Like this one, when the exchange is, when everything is normal, right? You don't even know that they're eventually consistent behind the scenes. You assume that once you make the request, you're going to be able to then subsequently ask about that request and it's going to work. The eventual, eventual consistency is only a problem when the market is under load. And so some of this is just like, you have to have, in order to build a system that's as stable as like we built it today, I and mean, we still have issues, like things still happen. Um, you really have to have that time in the market. You have to connect to the providers. You need the real like miles on it, the system to burn it in, to get to the point where you understand all the different intricacies. And so I think coming into it, I knew it was, we knew it was a problem. We knew we were going to have to do this recovery thing. And that was going to be a differentiator. I, just because other systems that you saw out there like didn't do this at all. Uh, but we didn't know how long the tail of issues was going to be for sure. <laughs> yeah. We thought we yeah. get the recovery thing right and then it will just work. But it's it's a constant struggle and new things pop up all the time. And imagine you had to sit down and sort of define a North Star from the beginning of like, if we are, if something is going to fail, here's the way in which, you know, here's our priorities in terms of failure modes. Yeah. And I think the most important thing is ultimately like communication with the client. Um, there's a couple of ways you, you do this. So we want to make sure that it's like on these reconcili trade reconciliation things we're talking about, uh, issues we're talking about. First of all, you want to try to make sure that you recover all the trades. Hmm. Um, second of all, if there's issues, you want to have the proper alerting in place to notify our team so that they can communicate with the client. Um, if there is a chance that if we don't know the state of this order, at least we can tell the client that we don't know the state of the order and we have, we have telegram or Slack groups set up with all of our clients. And so we're always, we have a client services team that runs 24 seven. So we can have that communication with them to notify them that something's going on. So even if we don't know the answer, at least we can tell them that we don't know the answer. And I think the, the other thing that we do is, um, is having other checks, right? It's having reconciliation. And so this is something that we build onto the platform is, um, we, we, something that's pretty cool that we can do in digital assets and in crypto that we couldn't do in other asset classes is we can actually reconcile the trades that you've done with the actual balances that are in your accounts. So we basically mm -hmm. have two feeds with the exchange. We have, here's the set of trades that's coming in. We have, here's the set of, uh, like transfers that's going to that account that are adjusting your balances. And then finally, here's a snapshot of what your balance is right now. Um, and we, we built out functionality that allows us to reconcile those things together. So if I, you know, if I have $10,000 in my account at a, an exchange, I buy $1,000 worth of Bitcoin, right? I should expect that I have $9,000 now and I have the equivalent in Bitcoin in that account. Uh, and if those things don't match up, then we can raise alerts on our side. And this is just so much, and these systems are hard to get right. They, you might not have quite enough information, um, you know, everything's going to be eventually consistent. So you have heuristics, but these are the things that you need to build. It's all the under the iceberg stuff that makes a trading, that differentiates a trading system like ours. The client communication piece is also, I mean, it's kind of, it's part of the engineering effort to, to know, to both have that, have those channels available, right? Like if you think of the, the breadth of the entire product, you know, that, that is a big part of it. And then you know, there's, it seems like there's even some, there's some art to deciding when to stop. You could kind of be branching indefinitely. And, and, and if you were to, if you were to try to play the logic out for every single incident you've dealt with, 
Yeah. And I think this goes down to a general way of like, how do you, of how to build products and kind of figuring out, um, when is it okay for me to ship? How much, how complete and how many of these weird corner case scenarios am I willing to tolerate before I can get something out in front of my customers? And I think that this is something that it's a constant struggle. There's no easy answer here, but it's critical to figure out because as, especially as you're building like a startup, one of the things that we pride ourselves on, and I think a lot of people do is being able to ship quickly, being able to iterate, being able to get functionality out in front of your clients so that you get feedback. Is this the thing that people are actually going to use? Um, this is something that we did. I think that we did relatively well. A good example of this is we, when we first started Talos, we were really focused on, uh, connecting out to crypto exchanges and, um, building trading algorithms, uh, doing this, you know, of normalizing the data that comes from the different exchanges, but I'll really focus on those exchange workflows. We got that out in front of clients and, you know, we got some pickup on it, uh, but not as much as we expected. And the thing that really ended up switching making us successful was we started connecting to the OTC counterparties, so the market makers in the space. Uh, and there's a lot of advantages to wanting to trade with a market maker in crypto. They extend you credit, so you don't have to pre-fund your exchange balances. Um, they might be more reliable. Uh, they might actually give you tighter pricing than you see on some of the more retail-focused exchanges. And so being able to then incrementally start building, we got all the exchange kind of, we got all the exchange functionality out. It wasn't perfect, but we got it. We shifted, uh, and then we saw that actually this is connecting to the market makers where we should be spending more of our time. Um, so being able to have, we had a vision of being able to connect to the entire crypto ecosystem, but being able to get stuff out and see and get that feedback is, was really critical for us. Uh, but at the same time, right <laughs> to your point at the beginning, you're spending, you are, you are doing trading, you're building a trading system. It's people's real money is on the line. And so you need to kind of walk that line of when is this product good enough to ship? Uh, and for us, it's making sure that we build those safety features into the product. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You sort of you start by dividing the world into what are the what are the safety things that must exist at all flows, yeah. and then at the same and like I feel like it's I'm wondering here is it's both getting it out there in front of customers, but um, that that allows you to get the feedback so that you're not overfitting on against a, a specific failure mode in a way that would make it less robust down the line. Yeah, that's a great yeah, great example. We spent all our time making our FTX integration perfect, lowest latency, handle all the failure cases, and suddenly it's gone. <laughs> that, yeah. Um, I guess that that, that, that that is crypto for you, for better or worse. Yeah. That's kind of crypto in a nutshell, exactly. So what have you learned about the market itself and about the 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 path of of trying to figure these types of problems out? I think starting from the beginning, like we knew that we were coming into the space as a very small player. Uh, and we were just trying to connect out and use APIs as a pure consumer. And, and it was also pretty fairly early days in crypto, you know, 2018. And we've seen the industry definitely evolve and come, become more institutionalized. And we've seen bigger players come to the space. We've seen just the, the technology and operations that a lot of these exchanges get a lot better. They're just much more reliable than they used to be. Um, and the, but the way that the things that we've done also is that we've learned that as we get a more prominent position in the ecosystem, that we also have some control over this, right? So if we can, if an exchange 
really simple thing. I talked about how when you reach out to the exchange, you when you send an order, you give it an identifier, and then you can ask about that identifier later if it didn't go through correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, so some providers didn't support that. So we can actually go in and say, provider, if you want to be on the Talos platform, um, you need we need you to add this API to work like this, to make it more institutionalized, to make it more reliable. Um, and we've had these conversations, and as we yeah, as we get a little bit more power in the ecosystem, honestly, as we become more prominent, we can actually teach people or push people in the right direction to make the whole ecosystem better for everyone. Yeah, that that sounds like a, a, a great point because you <laughs> could imagine just you know someone trying to come up with a standards body like let's go to all the exchanges and make them do this, but in practice, the, yeah. that's just a nightmare. So like unless you're uh, you know, the, the way to drive that forward is to be, is to be, to be a hub and also, you know, just to, to be the one trying to provide the, um, uniformity of experience in the first place. Yeah, exactly. What we, one of the things we try to get more and more of is to, we actually have an API and we'll, we can get some of the market makers to integrate into our API and then we can kind of set the rules. This is how it works. We can go through like a certification process with them to make sure that the interaction works well. Um, and that's a way that we can make it again more yeah. institutionalized in the whole ecosystem. Sort of look, look how well our software works. Wouldn't it be nice <laughs> if everything went this way? You can be part of this too. Yeah, that's great. Exactly. We're not perfect, but I think we, we do a pretty good job. This has been amazing. I think we've we've learned a lot about you know building like a highly technical system, but also you know adaptability around messiness. Um, and and it's, I really enjoyed <laughs> really enjoyed digging into that. What 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 can we what's next for Talos? What can we expect? You know, like in the future. Long term, we think that we really think of crypto as kind of an experimentation ground, but that a lot of the things we're doing today that you can actually in real time, twenty four seven, you can send your assets and know that they've moved from one out, from one counterparty to another. Um, we think that those that those innovations are going to come into other asset classes. We think that you know, long term, uh, all assets become digital assets. And so that's really what we're we're working towards as we build out the company. There's a lot of moving parts here. There's technical innovation that needs to happen. There's regulatory clarity that needs to happen. The kind of the industry moves slowly, almost by definition, right? The big financial institutions move slowly and it's kind of built in. It's a feature, not a bug. Uh, but this is where we are growing Talos for the long term. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I, I look forward to all of that and sort of deeply aligned on like the future, the future of digital assets. So, yeah. Um, well, thanks exactly. a lot, Ethan. This has been it's been a lot of fun. Thanks for thanks for spending time with me. Thanks for having me on, Brett, and also thanks for all the support over the years. I think that you know, and you're one of the longest Talos supporters and, and initialized invested in Talos. And I think it was in 2020 was one of the times when crypto was really slow, and we really appreciated all the support then and uh, going forward. And also, like, thanks for doing a podcast about technology and having us really <laughs> dive into these things because, you know, we do other ones of these and it's usually talk about crypto, talk about the news, talk about the latest thing. And I really appreciate that you're wanting to dive into some of the messiness and some of the hard problems. And it's really awesome. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Appreciate that. That's it for this episode of Highbit. Our next guest is Renika Apti, founder and CEO of Clockwork a company building AI-powered nail painting robots. At Clockwork, we build robots for self-care. Our first robot is the world's first and only nail painting robot. 
so what if we create dots of polish next to each other in a way that like mesh together that'll create the smooth coat that was sort of like a big breakthrough moment for us like all right this is how we're going to paint nails high bid is produced by initialized capital our videographer and editor is jordan burns candy chang is our showrunner and i'm your host brett gibson thanks for listening